Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As we uh, dive in today, we're in a playlist series, and I'm still calling it summer. You know, I, I know Krista's excited about making a big bowl of chili, but I'm not ready for summer to be gone. Is anybody with me? Any summer people here? I mean, come on, you know, in here, and we got a big fall kickoff, so let's, let's do that. But I count Sept- Seattle people, September is summer, right? We know that. We know that. So I'm going to be rolling out in the waves as, as long as Stephanie will allow me to do that. But we're in a playlist series, summer playlist series in the Psalms. And this week, we're going to do a song of forgiveness, a song of forgiveness. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 32. I want to encourage you, if uh, you haven't done so already, be sure to download our Church Center app. On that app, it has all the stuff we've been talking about, all those things, but it also has the notes for today. There's an outline in there that you can follow along. Scriptures are in there, reflection questions. So uh, I invite you to do that if you haven't done so already. So Song of Forgiveness, looking at Psalm chapter 32. But before we do, I just want to put out the fact, again, as I've been talking about, I, I love this community. I love the body of Christ. I loved it from the first moment I came here back in, I think it was 2001 when we first came to this community. Uh, my oldest son, who's now married and off doing his, doing, uh, having, building his family, uh, he was only one years old then. Some of you may have known that. He was a little kid that was running down the aisle. And we've been here and love this community. We love Seattle. But there's one thing I think that's always a misnomer, and we, we do talk about it, but it's important to remind ourselves that community has so many benefits. I've been encouraged here. There are people here. You've helped me raise our kids together by teaching them. You know, um, Our kids still know the songs that teacher, te- teacher Tina, Daniel's mom, wrote for them and sang to them, and it's this theology that, that goes in their hearts, so many minds. So many great things, so many wonderful things, but how many know that family can be tough? Anybody have any tough family experiences, you know? No matter how wonderful, how great, how godly, any family, any community, wherever it is, you're going to have friction together. Because when we look at, at, uh, at this challenge of being together, sometimes people will say, you know, it's often the people who you know the best that will hurt you. And, I, and for me, I'm like, well, of course, because they know you the best, These are the people that will lean into you. These are the people who've also been the most vulnerable with you and the people you've been the most vulnerable with. And when there's great vulnerability, there's great opportunity to be hurt. And sometimes the hurt has no purpose in it, but sometimes the hurt that happens, it's been for your good. Has anyone ever confronted you? And at the time, it was hurtful, but later you were like, yeah, I... I, I really needed to hear that word of, of, of rebuke. Anybody ever to go, yes, I've been rebuked and I've needed to be rebuked, thank God. This is the challenge of community. And it's, and it's what we see in the Psalms, and be, be, because of this, when we look at the Psalms, and because we, we live in this, in this tension a lot of times, the psalmist, as well as through Scripture, it uses a key word that is essential in walking through this, a key word that is essential in dealing with pain, um, and it's the word forgiveness. Forgiveness, and I love as we as we go through this today. I want to point out, you know, my primary source in everything is the Bible, the Word of God. is It is the only 
authority that is without fault that has stood for thousands of years. The Bible is inerrant, is without fault. It is, every, it is our life. It is the Word of God. But one of the books that I've also read as I've been thinking about this and praying through this is uh, by one of my favorite authors, the, the late Tim Keller. And he has this book called Forgive. And if you haven't read through this, I encourage you to read this for everyone. It's a deep dive. He unpacks so much. It's actually the last book that he wrote before he went home to heaven. But he says this about the Psalms. Tim Keller writes, The Psalms are perhaps the premier Old Testament expression of both the character of God's forgiveness and the means of its reception. Think about that. It is the premier Old Testament expression of both the character of God's forgiveness, his forgiveness of us, but also how we receive that. And so today, as we dive into this, let's just take a moment, because we don't want to just be hearers of God's word today. We want to be doers. We want to be people who apply God's word. That's where the difference is. Amen? So would you pray with me today, Father, as we gather around your word as the body of Christ, Lord, we thank you for your word. It lights our path, it leads us, it instructs us. But Lord, you've called us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. And you told us that in applying the word that we don't do that alone. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that strengthens us, that reminds us, that teaches us things we don't understand, reminds us of things that we forget. So Holy Spirit, move in us today and guide us. Let the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my high place. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So let's look at one of these psalms today. This is Psalms Psalms chapter 32. And it starts off by saying, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best path for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love, that's what we've been singing about today, unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. One of, the many psalms, one of the many psalms that talks about forgiveness. And before we dive into it, I think more important than ever, it is so important to define words. You know, one of the things that we love to do today is if we don't like a word, what do we do? 
redefine it, right? I can make that fit. I can make, I can make it sound healthy, right? I'll just put organic on it, and then I can eat as much as I want. How many of you know that's not always right and true, right? So let's talk about forgiveness. What does forgiveness mean? What are we talking about? Well, when we're talking about forgiveness, what we're talking about is cost. Have you ever thought about forgiveness as being a word that deals with cost? Well, forgiveness is a cost word. Again, Tim Keller in his book, Forgive, he defines it this way. He says, forgiveness means the cost of the wrong moves from the perpetrator to you, and you bear it. Forgiveness, then, is a form of voluntary suffering. Who's signing up for suffering today? All right. Voluntary suffering, he says, in forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. So what Tim Keller is saying here, he's saying that when you forgive somebody, it's the recognition that you've been wronged, something has happened, and when you wrong somebody, there's a cost to it. Do you recognize that? Anytime you wrong, anytime you offend somebody or whatever it may be, there's a cost involved. And now, some of these things are pretty, pretty light, right? Some may be, hey, sorry I was late to that meeting. How many offenders do we have here of that, right? You've been late to meetings. Or, uh, sorry that I didn't call you back. You know, Canadians are actually known for saying sorry, right? If you think my accent's now, wait till I come back from Canada, then you'll get some Canadianism going on, right? Uh, or, sorry that I took that last donut. <laughs> now, in all these things, these seem very trivial, they seem very small, but there is a cost to it. But there's nothing that we can really do about it. I was, I was late for the meeting, and there was a cost to that, but I can't roll back time. Uh, I ate that last donut, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. But these are pretty minor ones, and typically, these can be pretty easy to forgive, but the people at the meeting you relate to, they had to absorb, we're waiting for Dwayne again, and we're waiting for that person again. But sometimes, these can be much larger and more painful, that... The wrong that was done could be the loss of relationship because of gossip or slander or there was a betrayal. Very hard, very painful. Sometimes it involves a loss of finances. There's an unpaid debt. There's, there's a loss of property. And, and sadly today, there's so many times that we'll see it in areas of abuse where someone has been hurt. They've, there's been physical injury, emotional. These are high-cost things to where as it relates to forgiveness, can be very difficult. And unfortunately, because we live in such a broken world, these things are the norm. Even over 2,000 years ago, I mean, we see in, in 1 Peter, where Peter says, don't be surprised, as if something strange was happening to you. And Jesus kept telling his disciples over and over again, he said, look, guys, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He went on to say, but I've overcome the world, but you will have trouble. You've got to walk through this hurt and this brokenness. And even for those of us that we've devoted our life to Christ, we recognize we're swimming upstream. We recognize that we're going against cultural norms. Jesus even said, just remember this. If the world hates you, they hated me first. You know, it was like when we were, I, I told a story about how when we were moving to Seattle, we hadn't found a house yet. And my kids said, Dad, are we homeless? I said, well, Jesus was homeless, so we're just like him. And Steph, Stephanie said, let's, let's, uh, Let's think before we speak a little bit. <laughs> I thought I was being theological. Jesus even went on to say, all nations will hate you. See, there's nothing new here. Because of sin, we're in a broken world. And just like 
when machines are broken, they continue to break and implode. As humans, when we're broken, we break things around us. But the difference for the Christian is in how we respond. See, for the Christian, for those who have given their life to Christ and they're following hard after Jesus, our response is not retaliation. Jesus is saying our response is forgiveness. He's saying, no, as a Christ follower, you incur that debt. He talks so much about it that even when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, forgiveness was in the center of his prayer. Forgive us our debts, yay, as we forgive those who owe us. It's like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. It's so difficult. And Jesus, he even went further, blowing their minds by telling his disciples not only that, but you need to, for, to forgive your enemies. He said this in Matthew 5. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, to the Jewish mind, the neighbor meant like the people next to you, right? The people that you like, the people that you got along with, right? These were people that were on your team. These were people that were at your coffee house. These were the people that you liked all the stuff that they put in social media. But Jesus is saying, no. Your neighbor extends to everybody. So he's saying, yeah, it's not just love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, does that sound crazy to you? I mean, these are the people that I would unfriend in Facebook, right? These are the people I would unfollow in Instagram. These are the people that I would never snap in, snap in chat, and I would never be real, okay? I would never just, they're just gone. They're just, there's, why in the world would I want to be close to somebody who spitefully hates me? Well, here's why. Jesus said that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You do all this, you love your enemies, those who spitefully hate you, in order that you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus said, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, okay, we don't like tax season now. But back then, it was even worse because they took the tax and then they had another tax for themselves. So he used the worst in their minds by saying, even tax collectors do this. So in other words, when you do that, you're, just, you're no better than a tax collector. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, he says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus went on and he gave them even more clarification. When he says this in Luke chapter 6, he made himself very clear and he said, look, here's what that means, that if someone slaps you in the cheek, now that's, that's a way of saying if someone insults you, right? So if someone comes up and they insult you, right? I don't like your hockey team. Turn the cheek and receive the other one. Their goaltending is terrible, turn the cheek. He said, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. 
mind-blowing, confusing for the disciples. It's like, I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but Jesus, who does this? And again, recognizing that they were in a land controlled by Rome. These weren't people who just kind of had the easy life, right? They were, they were heavily taxed. They were controlled by Rome. They were always looking around a corner. They could be arrested for almost no reason. Romans were against them. They're following Jesus. So now the Pharisees are after to get them as well. And they're, who do we trust? So the disciples were struggling with this, this whole idea of forgiveness and how, boy, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jesus. I know it's there, and I love you, Jesus, and I'm following you. But then Peter steps up, and I love Peter, man. If you read the Bible, I mean, Peter is just, I love what he does because Peter comes in, he's thinking about it. He's going, okay, forgive. But he asked Jesus this question. He said, but how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Because in the Jewish mind, three times. You only have to forgive somebody three times. Some may say that was the origin of the basis of baseball. Three strikes, and you're out. That's not in any commentaries, by the way. Right? Peter says, Lord, how often should we forgive him? Because in his mind, three, and he throws out this number because Peter wanted to look good, too. He's like, Jesus, what if I forgive them seven times? So he's, he's taking the three, he's doubling it, and he adds one. How many is that? Seven, I'd hate. There's new math today. I'm not assuming anything, okay? He says, how about if I forgive him seven times? So Peter's saying, look, how many times should I go through? Seven times? We'll double it and we'll add one because we're really good Christ followers. But Jesus looks at him, and instead of giving him an attaboy on the back that we all love, he looks to them, and he moves Peter, he said, from, the, from addition to multiplication, and he says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. 70 times seven, Peter. We're not just doing simple addition today, but don't miss the point, because this is not about math, because some have said, well, just 490 times. So somebody comes in, someone's late to the meeting, and they start to have a checkbook. Okay, Dwayne, that's 300 times you've been late. Jesus' whole point is he takes this huge number, to show that if we're counting, we're not forgiving. If I'm counting how many times you've been late, if I'm counting how many times you did this, or if I'm counting, if, if I've got a tally sheet and I've got an Excel spreadsheet on you, I am not forgiving you. See, forgiveness is about taking on the cost of the offender. It's choosing, it's that voluntary choice to suffer in their place. This is what we're talking about, forgiveness. This is what biblical forgiveness looks like. So, why? I was taught growing up that when it comes to God, when it comes to the Bible, that you never ask questions about why. But as I've grown, know what I've found out? God loves it when you say why. How many of you have discovered that? When I dig into Scripture and I say, why is this? Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to get the answer I want. It doesn't mean I'm going to fully understand it, but when I say why and I honestly go to God, I found that he speaks to me. He's not afraid of my questions. You don't check your brain at the door. You come in, you go, what's happening? Because we're talking about the creator of the heavens and earth who loves us. There's reasons we're not going to know today because it is beyond my Canadian mind to understand. But when we dig in, we find one of the reasons for it, one of the big reasons why 
we forgive in this way is because forgiveness leads to reconciliation. And reconciliation is the heart of God. Everything that he does is for reconciliation. And not only that, reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. The gospel is about reconciling, reconciling humanity to God. And none of this takes place without forgiveness. We even see this in the Lord's Prayer that when we're taught and how to approach God, when the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? What's the first thing he said? Here's how you pray when you talk to God. The first thing you say is, our Father. Our Father. See, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that we approach God as our Heavenly Father. This means that every human being, all of us made in the image of God, we approach him as the perfect, good, good Father that we think about. See, this is the voice of reconciliation. And as it relates to a good father, what does every parent want for their children? They want them to get along. When you walk into a house and there's bickering and there's fighting, all kinds of stuff happens after that. You, you, and at that point, you're getting the kids together and you're like, you better start saying, forgive me or I'm sorry or whatever. And you better forgive them if they did wrong because we've got to work this out together. Because when there's no unity, and Pastor Steve Pakota, he's going to talk about that next week, but when there's no forgiveness, there's no opportunity for unity. We need forgiveness. And because we've all been born into sin and none of us are perfect, we're all guilty of hurting somebody. I've, I've hurt people before. I've hurt some of the most precious people in my life. And you're not even surprised by that. <laughs> Why? Because, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I make mistakes. I've said stupid stuff. I've said things after. Stephanie's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said that. It sounded funny in my head, but nobody else was laughing. We're all guilty of this. And when the offense takes place, when the hurt takes place, when the damage takes place, there's this wedge that comes in, and it separates us. And everything that we do, everything we do is contagious. Do you know that? Everything that we do, whatever we pour into the water is contagious and it comes through. We reproduce who we are. And the danger of harboring any amount of unforgiveness when we don't walk in this way, unforgiveness, it turns into anger. And anger, it festers into revenge. And revenge, that's where our world is today. See, unfortunately, it's no secret. Our, our culture is not one that embraces this type of forgiveness. This godly, righteous forgiveness where we take on this, this is not, not, not where we are today. Again, in his book, Tim Keller, Forgive. You may, not even, you may not need to read that book because I'm reciting so much of it today. But Tim Keller writes, he says, Our culture has taken a strongly inward turn while other cultures have stressed the importance of community and the need to forge a personal identity that negotiates and aligns with the common good, modernity has stressed looking inward to forge our own identity based on our own desires and then moving outward to demand that society honor our individual interests. Isn't that true? Instead of looking out for the good of those around you, we look inward. I got to tell you, that's a lonely, dark place. This is not how we were created, to just be lovers of ourselves. It's, it's, it's one of the many warnings in scriptures that in the end times, people will become lovers of themselves, taking what used to be right, 
what used to be wrong and professing it to be right because we look to ourselves instead of God. And unfortunately, our culture is one that leans to the vindictiveness and revenge and as the answer to all the brokenness that's there. And sadly, when we do that, we're, we're being torn apart from the seams. There's, there, there's, there's not more unity taking place. There's more tribalism taking place, and we're more separated. That's not the body of Christ. That's not the way that we were made. We were made to love one another and to come together and give grace and mercy with one each other, but along the way, refining each other, pointing to God and saying, God, have your way in here, because when we do that, we get to represent a new way, a better path, and a way that will be so attractive. The Bible talks about how people will stand, and they will stare and wonder, This was the the book of Acts. When the new church was starting, they were saying, how are they doing this? How are they giving up? How are they being so generous and the Lord blesses them? It's because of God and because they worked in these ways, refining each other, and forgiveness is at the heart of it. Do you know what keeps a marriage together, one of the things? Forgiveness. How many married people have said, I've had, I've needed to give and receive forgiveness? It is essential. It's the cornerstone because we all mess up. I mean, I think Stephanie was surprised the Canadians messed up. Not no more. (laughs) Not no more. See, it requires that I see you as family and that we love each other, that we walk in that way, that I don't take up offense. It means that I see you not as my enemy, but I see you as you're my brother and sister. I want to spend eternity with you, whether you're here or you're out there, wherever you are. That's the heart of God. It requires what Jesus said, that we lay down our lives for others. That's why the first step that Jesus talked about, if you want to be my follower, step one is what? Deny yourself. Sometimes it's easy when we agree with it, and it's difficult when we don't. See, our future is meant to be together with one another. I mean, that's why Martin Luther King Jr., he said that he who's devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. If you don't have the power to forgive, you don't have the power to love. God is love. And he went on to say in one of his sermons, he said, we can't say, I I will forgive you, but I'm not going to have anything further to do with you. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what John 3.16 talks about, that this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that who can? Everyone who believes in him, they will not perish but have eternal life. See, Jesus came to offer forgiveness, choosing to pay our debt, choosing voluntarily to suffer in our place in order for us to be reconciled to him. That's the gospel. He took on our debt. Our only hope, our only future is with God. But it requires that we receive forgiveness, but then we also give forgiveness. And if that's not tough enough, everything that Jesus, just think about everything that Jesus just said, right? Love your enemies, love those who hurt you. When they insult you, turn your cheek and say, may I have another? I mean, all this stuff. If they ask for your shirt, give you them the jacket. All of these things. Jesus went on and he said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Look at verse 15. But if you refuse to forgive others, 
your Father will not forgive your sins. Does that dig deep for anybody? Do you have anybody in your life who's tough to forgive? (laughs) I do. I may be the person in your life that's tough to forgive. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, this is real stuff. And now Jesus is saying, "What? what? What is happening here? Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying create your own Excel spreadsheet and say, here's all the people I've forgotten. Is that enough? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you earn his forgiveness by, you know, forgiving these things. What Jesus is conveying here is that when we truly receive the forgiveness of God, it transforms us. He's saying that when that new life comes in, when, we're, when we allow that to take place, we are transformed. And I'm telling you, when I know how much I've messed up, when I know how much I've been forgiven, it's a lot easier to forgive somebody else. Isn't that true? When I've missed that last basket and we've lost the game, I'm a lot more forgiving when my buddy missed that shot. So I'm like, been there. When we truly realize that, when we truly walk in that way, it changes us. So as we wrap this up today, because Jesus said your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples, let's just spend these last few moments here just very quickly walking through because this is something we're going to be your whole lifetime, these are things I pull out, okay, and go, okay, God, I've got some people in my life that are tough to forgive, and I know I need to forgive. You've forgiven me so much. I'm, I'm unworthy, okay? But Lord, show me how to walk through. So what's the technique here? How do we forgive others? Well, step one, I just mentioned to you already. Step one is we receive forgiveness because we can't give something that we've not received. I can only give to you something that I have, That's why, apart from Christ, there's no way you can walk in this way. And we do this by, first of all, just recognizing, yeah, I'm a sinner. I have rejected God. I look full into the face of the things I've done wrong. And I'm telling you, to to do that, you got to get off social media, because social media is going to say, you're fine, Dwayne. You're great, Dwayne. You are good. (laughs) And I'm not. I need to get alone. I need to fast. I need to labor for the Lord and have the Lord examine my inward thoughts. I need to recognize I'm a sinner, and then I need to repent. Repentance is about a deep remorse. It's not a sorry and move on. It's like, no, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I grieved you. So we confess, we repent, and we follow Christ. We deny ourselves, and I orient my whole life That's the proof of somebody who they have sincerely repented. Now, they are following Jesus because they don't want to go back to that again. They follow Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm walking that line. And with that line that snapped in the beginning, it might be like this trying to follow it. But as you mature as a believer, you eventually get here, right? It's like somebody, first time they're, they're, they're flying a plane, you better get the barf bags out, right? But as they go and they get better, they start lining it out. That's what it is to walk with Christ. 
We learn, we grow, we're strengthened. So step one, we need to be forgiven. But step two, forgiving, heart, forgiving others. And this is the tough one. But we need to look at this because, but a person who is forgiven little shows little love, Jesus said. So here's some very simple four steps, and they're laid out in greater detail. But the first step that we need to walk out is, first of all, we need to name the offense. You want to forgive somebody, someone has walked with you, the first thing that you've got to do is name the offense. Forgiveness is not, don't worry about it, let's not talk about it, that's a little embarrassing, let's just kind of, let's kind of scoot that under the rug. Is that forgiveness? No. The first thing you need to do is just lay it out. It's like going to a doctor, what's wrong? Nothing, can you just give me some penicillin, you know? No, the doctor's going to do an exam. He or she is going to look because they need to know the offense. That's why in Luke 17, Jesus even said this. Jesus said, if another believer sins, what did Jesus say? Rebuke that person. Now, be very careful, <laughs> right? This is not about going around, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, Boston Bruins fan. It's not about that, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that level of community with one another. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to excuse it, and we're not going to minimize it. We need to identify it. Jesus is teaching us before we can be healed. We need to look at what's going on. Number two, we need to identify as a fellow sinner. I mentioned this before. We identify it, we step forward and say, you know what, this, this is what happened. But we also need to recognize, like the Apostle Paul did, when it comes to sinners, I am the worst of them all. I'm in the same boat with you. I have failed. I have been unkind. There are things that I have done. See, when we are hurt, I think our natural response is to often focus on the person who has hurt us. They hurt us. Do you know what Jesus said to that? Jesus said in Luke 17, 3, he said, watch out. Because in moments like that, you need to watch out for your own soul. It's in these moments when we're vulnerable that we are tempted to try to take the moral higher ground. I saw what you did. I'm better than you now. <laughs> I mean, that's social media, isn't it? We kind of dog each other, and we dog each other, and we hide. It's very easy to say, I see what you did, and I even say, confess. Boy, don't I feel good. Do you know what comes before a fall? <laughs> Pride. Guaranteed. We've seen this played out. I've seen leaders get up and rebuke something and rebuke something and point somebody out, and then we come to find out later. That's not the heart that Jesus is after. He even had this wonderful illustration where he talked about when two people came to pray. In Luke 18, he said, two men went to the temple to pray. He said, one was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Jesus said, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. And he said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater. I'm not a sinner. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and he said, Oh God, be merciful to me, 
for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we receive forgiveness from God. We identify the sin. But we need to recognize, you know what? I am in in need of as much grace as you are. And then third, third, once we've done that, we forgive. Yep. We could end right there, couldn't we? This is forgive. Because we've been forgiven, now we forgive. And what this means is that we release them like Jesus. We absorb the debt rather than seeking revenge. Easy, right? No. See, this is tough because forgiveness is a choice that we don't make just in that moment because I can be with you, I can be in a meeting with other pastors going through and we have this whole intervention and say, yes, I forgive you and it's great and then I can walk away and later that night I can be triggered. How many have been triggered at night? How many have been triggered in the morning? How many have been falling through? Forgiveness is a choice moment by moment by moment. God, I'm trusting you with this. I'm trusting you with this. And it's tough because we have this... Sin creates this, and forgiveness is difficult because it, sins, it, they, they create a record in us. There's this, Tim Keller calls it a residue of liability and obligation. Jesus is perfect. Even when someone said, went to him and said, who is good? He said, only God is good. That's why we're not called just to believe in Christ and just say, yeah, I acknowledge you're real. No, we're, we're called to follow Christ day by day. I get on my knees and I say, God, do your work in me. Help me to align with you today. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Reveal anything in my life that needs to be removed. It is a daily walk. How many of you found that to be true? Right? Every day. That's why we come together and we worship because we need to remind each other of who we are in Christ, who he's called us to be, and we need to be shaped. We need that because without Christ, the natural inclination is to fall away. Even in the gathering, coming to church, whatever you want to call it, when we don't do that regularly, there's a spiritual decline. There's a drop-off because we were made to be together. We need this. Even when it's tough, even when my jokes don't land, even when the coffee is cold, whatever, when we commit to be together regularly, it has an impact on your life and the life of those around you, and it helps us in forgiving one another because now I see you regularly. And we walk together. But having done that, we identify it. We, we call it out. We recognize that, yes, I am the chief of all sinners as well. I'm in that boat with you, buddy, so we can walk in this. And we walk in forgiveness. The fourth step that Keller lays out is that we aim for reconciliation. That's tough. There are people that I've forgiven, and I'm like, dear God, I hope I never see them again. Is that okay to say? I, t- I told you I'm a sinner, okay? There are people I've forgiven, and I'm like, I don't want to see them anymore. It's too embarrassing. Is it only Canadians that think that, or you guys? We want to be done. I'm okay seeing you in heaven because Jesus is there, you know, and it's going to be okay. There's angels singing, and... But here's the thing. Jesus is everywhere. 
And he's saying, no. We aim for reconciliation because we're followers of Christ. Because we are not going to follow the norms of our culture. It just breaks it off. I'm going to defriend you. I'm going to unfollow you. Whatever it is. Because remember, what's God's heart after? Reconciliation. The gospel, reconciliation. Now, is reconciliation always possible? No. You thought I was going to say yes, didn't you? (laughs) It's not. Because it takes two to tango. Tango is a dance that I'm not going to do for you right now. Or ever. (laughs) Reconciliation requires two people. But forgiveness can be done with one person. And we know this because Paul said in Romans 5.8, he said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I can take a step of forgiveness towards you before you even take a step towards me. I can take a step of forgiveness towards you and you run away from me. (laughs) See, reconciliation takes two people. And there's also times when we can forgive people, but there's still a price to be paid to society. See, the police aren't going to show up if I take that last donut. But there are crimes and there are penalties that I can forgive you and still call the police. Is that hard? Yes. Is it necessary at times? Yes. See, in cases of abuse and committing criminal acts, we can forgive somebody, but repentance on the part of the individual, it includes the act of, to the best of their ability, making it right. So there are times that that's necessary. There are times and situations where I've even said, you need to be the one to call the authorities right now. You have that opportunity. Because forgiveness means I want to make it right. Yeah, we incur debt. But we don't abuse the grace that's been given to us. And we walk in those ways. We walk in those ways. Because see, though God is gracious, he's also just. It says in Galatians 6, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock God. You can't mock the justice of God. It says you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their their own sinful desire will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest an everlasting life from the Spirit. But even in situations like this, it's important that we walk in forgiveness. Because when we walk in this way, we are positioning ourselves under the authority of God. You know, sometimes we'll, 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 we'll quote this. It's one of my favorite scriptures where it says that the Lord can take what the enemy meant for harm and work it out for good. Do you know who said that? Joseph. Joseph, sold off by his brothers, they told his dad he was dead. 
went to jail for something he didn't do. I mean, it is a life of just injustice, injustice, injustice. But he trusted the Lord. Now, he still had sin, like Job, right? Everyone has sin. They've got stuff they've got to deal with. But we're talking about wrongly imprisoned, wrongly accused. But in the end, God prevailed and saved his family and saved the nation. What I've found is that the taller the building, the deeper the foundation. When you pray and you ask God to do something in your life, you say, God, take it for whatever you will. Instead of going up, the first place God goes is we're going to start digging deep. We're going to start blowing rocks out of there. We're going to start refining your heart. We're going to start speaking to you, Dwayne, about what you want to do. And it's like, no. I thought you'd just give it to me. God's not going to place in your hands things that you're not ready for. You don't give a child the keys to the car. You let them grow up and get ready for it. God's doing a work of preparation in your heart. And I believe this is the issue today for all of us. Where do you need to walk in forgiveness? Father, do your work in us today. This is the issue. And we don't learn it from our culture. We can only learn it from you. If this is your heart, just say this with me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Do your work in me. I want you to ask yourself this morning, what's God saying to you? As you've heard this today, the voice of the Lord is speaking. You lean in right now. You're going to hear it. What is God speaking to you? Is there any offense that you need to ask forgiveness? This is something you've done, right? Anything in me. You may be sitting here today and you've been hurt. But Jesus comes in first and he cleans our house and he says, what is it in me that I need to ask forgiveness of? And then immediately following up, who do I need to forgive? They may not even know you're harboring something against them. Who do I need to forgive? And as it relates to this, it comes down to another big word besides forgiveness. It comes down to trust. What's a situation in your life that you need to trust that God is working it out? You may not be sitting in jail like Joseph. You may not be under extreme persecution, but where's an area that you need to trust in the Lord? Because we ask the why questions, but there's things that we are not going to understand because we're not God. So where do I need to trust? And then because faith without works is dead, it's only as we apply it that we own it and we receive it. I want to encourage you today, name a step just one step. What's that next step you need to take today in this area of forgiveness? Whether it's receiving or it's giving. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we give you thanks. First of all, because you've forgiven us. So now, Lord, as we have freely received, may we freely give. Help us today, I pray, in your name. In your name, we're going to take a few moments, and I want to encourage you, 
if you don't have a step, or maybe this is it, we have communion every week. This is what Jesus said. Every time you eat, do this. That bread represents his broken body, broken for you. Him taking on your debt, my debt, all of our debt. And then the cup, his blood. And it reminds us because Jesus is saying, we're not going to sweep it under. We're going to identify it. You need to identify, what do I need to have forgiveness of today? Because when you identify it to the Lord and you ask forgiveness, then there's healing that takes place. We need that. We have these wonderful people who would love to pray with you. Maybe you need to get with somebody you can trust today and say, boy, help me in this, whether it's receiving or giving. Or you can turn to somebody who's next to you that you trust, but let's respond today. Where do you need to be forgiven? Who do you need to forgive? Now, Lord, help us to walk with the bold faith that you've given us through the Holy Spirit, I pray in your name. So, Lord, help us. We know that, uh, Lord, one message, one sermon doesn't cure all. You're the cure-all. But it is a daily walk, moment by moment, trusting, obeying, receiving forgiveness. But God, may we recognize as we have been freely given, as we have been forgiven, now God, may we walk in forgiveness. May we reach out for help to you, to the body of Christ, to those around us. God, let the healing begin, I pray, in our lives, in this community, in the city, in the world around us, as we walk with you. And everyone said together, Amen, amen, amen. This is our benediction. Let's say this together before we enjoy the summer around us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now, as you go, go and live for Jesus. Love you all. God bless you.